Welcome to Masterpiece Women. This is Tina Raines, and I'm the founder of Masterpiece Women, and I am so excited to have you here today. We are a community of authentic women from all over the world, growing together personally, professionally, building businesses and ministries together. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite tea and sit back and grow with us. Thanks for being here, ladies. Well, hello, ladies. I hope you're doing wonderful. Today we are in Exodus 13 and 14. Oh, what a great, great chapter and chapters, I should say. So let's look a little bit at what we've seen over the last few chapters and look specifically, I want us to look at the leadership in this. We look at each chapter, the leadership, and I've shared with you, I often use my John Maxwell Bible. Um, I'll show it to you again. I love this thing because it just brings things back to the leadership in each chapter. And there's so many good, beautiful nuggets in what we see here. Um, and so not only are we looking to see what is it that God is showing each one of us in each one of these chapters, because that's imperative. The most important thing is, God, how do you want to speak to me? How do you want to have me interpret your word in this chapter? And so let's look at that and let's look at how he is um, speaking to Aaron and to Moses as well. I want us to look specifically uh, when you look at his plagues and you look at um, the 10 plagues of the people of Egypt, God accomplished many objectives at once, didn't he? So number one, what was it that he said over and over and over? He wanted them to know that I am Lord. I am Lord. And when you look at that and you realize that a lot of what he did, including hardening Pharaoh's heart over and over and over and over, he had a purpose for it. You know, from the fleshly, it's a part of me is like, well, God, why did you keep hardening his heart? Why couldn't you just like let him go the first time? <laughs> but he had a purpose and a plan. And sometimes it feels like that when we're on this earth. There's so many things on this earth that we see that sometimes just don't make sense. You're like, God, why can't you stop the cancer? Why can't you? Well, he can, but he's had sometimes chosen not to do things that we would have done our way for a purpose and a plan. And I think if you look at this, these chapters, it's so clear how he does that over and over and over and over. It also shows how despite of himself, because Moses was resistant. So what did he do? He gave him Aaron. And for me, it reminds me of uh, Kathy Anderson. When God called me into full-time ministry, leading the Freedom Climb, um, Kathy Anderson had started the first climb and she was the leader. And she says to me, Tina, I'm here for you as your friend, as your partner, but also as a mentor. I want you to learn from the things that I've made mistakes on, the things that I've learned from you know my difficulties. I don't want you to have to go through them. And I believe that that's what all of us are for, is to help the next person behind us, whether it's our children, the people that work for us, people in the community, but I believe our place on this earth is to mentor and lead other people well and love them well so that they too can grow and they can be all that God's called them to be. And I believe he uses each one of us in different capacities and different ways to empower other people and to help other people. And I know I've had so many 
beautiful people like Kathy who poured into me that made such a powerful difference. And I look at Moses and he was, you know, a little scared, a little intimidated, like, who am I? And we saw him say that over and over, didn't we? But yet I can only imagine as he was walking through that season and the humility that he was walking in and God was using him, but giving him the tools he needed, including Aaron, so that he felt confident. And I know that God blessed me with Kathy Anderson for the same reason and for many other reasons as well, as well as um, each one of us has someone in our lives like that. I want you to think about who is it in your life that God's given you to help you grow, to help you lead well, because we each one of us have one. He had Aaron. I wanted to look at what um, in the first five plagues, what, how did Aaron help him? Aaron used God's staff while Moses watched. Remember, God told Aaron to do the staff. He says, Moses, you're going to tell Aaron, go touch this and it's going to happen, right? And so Aaron was the one that actually used in the first five plagues, it was Aaron who used the staff. In the sixth plague, Aaron and Moses worked together and summoned the plagues. The last four plagues, Moses worked alone and Aaron watched. Isn't that just like we should be in our leadership, right? Let those that are were mentoring and helping let them do it sometimes we need help and then as we grow then we can do it ourselves so that's really what god was doing with aaron and with moses aaron did it first that's okay i'm going to give you aaron aaron can do it for you and then what happened by the end it was moses who was doing it he was confident he had grown and he was the one doing it and he no longer needed Aaron, although he still wanted Aaron, he didn't need him any longer. So it's just a perfect picture of um, how we can help others build in their, and grow in their leadership. And so let's look a little bit more at that. And let's read. So let's start at chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male the first offspring of every womb among the israelites belongs to me whether human or animal then moses said to the people commemorate this day the day you came out of egypt out of the land of slavery because the lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand eat nothing containing yeast today in the month of aviv you are leaving when the lord brings you into the land of canaanites hit Hittites and Amorites, Hivites and Jebusites, the land he swore your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. So what's he saying to them? He's saying, look, now you are, you are going to celebrate every year. You're going to concentrate every one of your first males, firstborn males of your of your stock and your flocks and of your sons, you're going to dedicate them. He's not saying you have to give them physically to them, does he? What he's saying is he wants them to celebrate their freedom. He wants them to sacrifice their firstborn to him in honor of what he did for them, in honor of the fact that he brought them out of captivity, how he protected them against the Egyptians and how he um, brought. And so they said, he wants him to re them to remember, 
to remember what he's done because I am Lord. Remember he said, I am Lord many times over and over throughout these passages. So in verse 11, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on, on oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. So basically he said the donkeys weren't good enough. So if you had the firstborn donkey, you had to give a lamb. <laughs> so... But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. I think about that. I think about how God provides for us so generously, so beautifully, just like he did for the Israelites, right? He brought them out of captivity and um, all he was asking them for was to glorify him, that he wanted them to give the first of, basically their, the first of their treasures. That's what he's asking for. And I believe that's what he's asking of us as well. Not leftovers. He doesn't want our leftovers. He didn't say to them, I want Oh, give me at least one of your dozen kids or give me just one of your dozen, you know, offspring of your best cows or sheep. I want your first. I want you to dedicate that firstborn child to me. I want you to, to sacrifice the firstborn flock, livestock to me, the first one, not the last one and not the worst one, but the best one. And I believe that's what God's calling us, calling us to do as well. He wants our very best. He wants our first, freshest time in the morning. He wants our first thought to be him. He wants, he wants us to put him first in everything we do. And so that was just, that was, that was really in this chapter, what the Lord spoke to me is, I want to make sure that I'm first, Tina. Am I first? Am I first in your life, Tina? Are you waking up first thing thinking of me? Are you waking up first thing praising me? Are you waking up first thing and reading my word and listening to me and hearing from me? Or are you doing that when you can schedule it? And I know if you're a mom on this and you have young kids, it's hard because sometimes they're up before you are. You don't have quiet time. I'm going to encourage you. Take the time in the morning. Get up a little bit earlier. I promise you, you won't lose those 30 minutes, but you'll gain such valuable 30 minutes of quiet time. If you have to do it before you go to bed, do it then, but find the time, but give it, give him the best, whatever the best is for you, whatever that little sacrifice might be for you. Because in that small sacrifice that you give him, he rewards you so, so beautifully. 
So I look at this chapter as well. I said for seven days, they were to emit yeast. And on the seventh day, they were to hold a celebration. He wanted that to remind all the ancestors of what he had done, along with the sacrificial giving the first of their family. He also wanted them to see very clearly every year, remind them so that they wouldn't forget. He wanted to be top of their mind. And I just love how God knew so well the way he led them. When you look at the, the scriptures and you look at what he did, didn't he? Where did he lead them in this? Where did he lead? All he asked was a little sacrifice. And yet, I want you to do this. I want you to give up the leavened bread for seven days. I want you to sacrifice the firstborn. And I'm going to lead you out of captivity and watch what I do. And so what happens? He starts leading them. And instead of leading them where the Philistines were, because he knew some of these people were still doubters. He knew that the people still weren't 100% confident, that their faith wasn't as strong as it needed to be. So what did the Lord do? He allowed them to go around the Philistines and around the desert road in lieu of through there, he just went around and they were, they came to the side of the sea, didn't they? And then he provided what? He provided a cloud and he provided fire. What? So that they had what they needed to guide them every single step of the way. He knows, he knows his children so well. He knows us so well. I know that he provides everything I need. And sometimes I don't even realize it's him providing it. And I look around and go, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. And I realize, oh, it was another gift from the Lord, another gold nugget from God to show me exactly what he wants me to do. And if I pay attention more closely to his voice, I see more and more and more of how he is working in my life. When I'm not paying attention, I'm too busy. I'm not giving him my best and my first. I miss it. I miss it. Do you miss it? It, being transparent, I miss it when I do that. I have to be intentional. I have to really focus. I even have in my calendar, Jesus time scheduled every morning so that it pops up so that I can't even miss it that way. Like I have to be very intentional because I am definitely a visionary. I'm definitely love to go hundred miles an hour. And God always pulls me back, reins me back, says, sweet daughter, just be quiet and stop and relax and rest in me. I want you to know that I have every detail. And even in these chapters, that's what I'm hearing. I have every single detail mapped out. When I'm struggling about the details and the luncheons, how many people are going to be at the luncheon? How many people are going to be on this event? How many people this house? He's like, don't worry about it. I have it covered. I'll give you the wisdom. I'll give you the people surrounding you, whatever you need. But it's mine. It's not yours, Tina. And it's whatever you're doing, whatever God's called you to do, it's his. It's not yours. So that's so freeing because we can let it go and go, okay, Lord, you're in control. I don't want to control it. I want you to be in control. Even these Bible studies, you know, I thought about how... Um, I could do it just perfect and all that, you know, could be, and even, you know, thinking about, I just love it how he just gives us every single thing we need. 
And all he asks in return is that we worship him, that we obey him, that we honor him and everything that we do. And what a gift that is, because when we do, there's such peace in that and such joy in that. And I know there's nothing more gratifying to me than watching God move or to use me in the midst of that. When I put on events or I've put on these retreats and watching the women's worlds be transformed. It's a greater gift for me, I feel like, than is, and I'm watching these women's lives change. And it's such a beautiful thing that God does in us, for us, and a gift to us. So I'm just going to encourage you, whatever he's calling you to do, ladies, you have it. God will give you everything you need. Just follow him, listen to him, worship him, spend some time with him. All right, so let's look at chapter 14. Chapter 14 is where it gets really, really good. <laughs> he's like, I am going to part it, the seas for you. That's what he does for us, doesn't he? He parts the seas for us. Whatever our needs are, that's where he shows up. And he does whatever it takes to get his children what they need. And I love, 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 love watching that. So he has Israelites turn back, doesn't he? He says, turn back, because he knows this is going to confuse Pharaoh. Pharaoh expects them to do one thing. When they turn around, he's like, wait a minute. And then he hardens Pharaoh's heart again. He says, I'm going to harden his heart again. And he did. So Pharaoh decided, no, we're not like, what were we thinking? We let them go. No, 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 no. We're going to go get them. So in chapter 14, Pharaoh decides he's going to go after him. And so what happens? What happens? He decides to charge. He gets 600 of his finest people, his finest men, his chariots, all, all his best equipment, his finest, 600. And then what happens? What was very interesting to me, though, is let's read this because it's so like humans. Immediately, Doubting Thomas happens. So, in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Phihiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. Hope I don't butcher those names, but see, it's okay. I'm not perfect, but if I butcher the names, forgive me. So... As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. You need only to be still. Sister, what are you going through that you need the Lord to deliver you to the land of milk and honey? You are his beloved, just like in this chapter. Just like in this chapter where the Lord parted the sea, he opens it up for them and lets them go through. So he will do for you. He will do for me. He will do for us. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory. I will gain glory, as he says. This is where the Lord, what he has in mind, he wants to gain the glory. He wants them to understand who he is. I am the Lord. The visual we see in his power to fight off, fight off the Egyptians is the same power that we have that helps us fight our battles. It's so profound. It's such a blessing to have that kind of power, that kind of sovereignty, that kind of a Lord that loves us, that he's willing to part the seas for us, that he's willing to do whatever it takes to protect us. Even when we don't feel it, we don't see it. And sometimes if we're real, we don't feel it and we don't see it. And it feels like God doesn't hear us. But let's choose to trust him and know, because when we look back on these seasons where sometimes we feel like we, he doesn't hear us or see us or we're not feeling him present, he just wants us to worship him. He just wants us to seek him. He wants us to give him his first, our first. And then he shows up and he, all the while though, is always there by us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. I know there's been times in my life that I felt like, oh, God, where are you? I just need you. I'm serving you. I'm doing all you've asked me to do. And I am just struggling here. I, I feel so empty. I feel so lost. I don't know what to do. And I've just had to go back to the basics, back to being much more intentional in this word, di diving deep, asking him, what do you want me to hear from this? I even, as I've been preparing for you ladies, it's been such a blessing for me because I've gone, I study my Bible, but it's been deeper. I've been doing this Bible. I've been doing my study Bible. I even decided, you know what? I'm going to read in four different translations each chapter and see what God shows me in those different translations. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't read the Bible in different translations, take a look at it. It's really powerful because in one of them, he literally says, just shut up. <laughs> I just love it. Oh, there you go. Just shut up. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I don't recall God saying shut up to us. But anyway, um, he says to be quiet. But one of the things also that um, I thought was very interesting in the um, John Maxwell study Bible is he talks about, you know, we talk, we've talked often about the 21 laws of leadership, but he talks about the law of the picture. The tangible leadership with cloud and fire in Exodus 13, 21, God's use of cloud and fire taught Israel to expect dynamic divine leadership. 
he would provide more than set of rules. When the pillar halted, they were to stop. When it moved, they were to follow. God was using the law of picture, providing leadership that could be seen. In a similar way, leadership today must be both definitive and dynamic. People need models and patterns they can observe and follow. Oh, isn't that so true? We need patterns to follow and model. We need to be the examples to others that they want to model, that they want to emulate. So that's why it's so important that we emulate who Jesus is so that we then are emulating to those around us so that they can see Jesus in us. And as we do that, then they to want to emulate and model that we need to be leaders that they are to, that they want to follow. So we look at that, look at the waters. He sends, he tells Moses to do your staff. He parts the waters. He sends the, the breeze or the storm air to dry the land, lets them part. He, then the Egyptians follow him, don't they? And then he messes with their wheels. And once he gets all of the Israelites across the sea, what does he do? He tells Moses, all right, do it again, close it, shut it, shut the waters. And when um, the waters come back over all of these Egyptians, takes them all out, kills them all, destroys them all. And how do the Israelites respond? Well, what I was thinking of when I read that is, don't you feel like sometimes the enemy's chasing you? Just like the Israelites probably felt about the Egyptians. Like they just keep chasing us. They won't stop. They keep surrounding us. And I just keep thinking, isn't that how the enemy works? He, it feels overwhelming, insurmountable. Can you imagine they're, I can't even imagine going through a sea and each side of the seawall that I'm walking through is up, I'm, you know, walking in between it. I mean, it's intense. It's amazing. And I just keep picturing that and think, you know, that's what it feels like sometimes when I'm having a struggle. It feels like I'm in that box and there's see here, see here. And God's saying, go right here, Tina. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Stay right on my path. And you think about the Israelites if they'd gone to the right, they'd be in the water. If they'd gone to the left, they'd be in the water. But they went straight. They were able to get across the sea, dry land, safe. And God protected them. And then he got rid of the enemy, didn't he? That's what he does for us too. So it's just such a beautiful picture of who he is. And I also was um, thinking about the laws of leadership and the law of the by. You want, as a leader, for your, your team to buy into your vision, to your dreams. Well, Moses was not, he didn't have buy-in from everybody yet. But what happens at the end of chapter 14? He finally has buy-in. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and the Israel and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. So when God did that, 
They finally trusted Moses. They finally trusted God and they feared the Lord because they finally knew exactly who he was. And he'd given all those plagues and he, they still didn't completely trust him, did they? Even though he protected them from all those plagues, they still hadn't completely surrendered to him. And you look at the thing um, in, this, in the leadership Bible and talks about Moses gaining credibility and the buy-in, the law of buy-in. And the approach of the Egyptian army terrified the Israelites. They placed heavy pressure on Moses to handle this crisis, didn't they? Moses didn't panic, though, since he had seen the power of God's handiwork. Instead, instead he exuded both poise and peace, winning for himself great credibility as a leader. Through one incident, he became the nation's go-to leader. Note what gave him credibility. And we're looking at Exodus 14, 1 to 28 here. First, he projected calm instead of craziness. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. Exodus 14, 13. Two, he projected confidence instead of cowardice. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Exodus 14, 13. He projected clarity instead of confusion. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Exodus 14, 15. And he projected competence instead of clumsiness. When Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites were through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. Exodus 14, 21 to 22. That is such great stuff. And they trusted the Lord. Good stuff, ladies. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your word. Thank you for chapter 13 and 14, where you show us so clearly how you guided your people, how you took them on dry land to the other side, how you protected them, Lord. I pray, Father God, that each one of us on this podcast, Lord, that we would hear your voice so clearly, that we would see your signs, that we would see your directions, and that we would follow, follow closely to you, Jesus, that we would trust you, we would surrender to you, Lord, that we would model great leadership so that others would be drawn to you and to drawn to being the leaders you've called them to be as well, Lord. Let us be the leaders you've called us to be. Let us be the mothers and the daughters and the sisters and the wives and the friends and um, the servants that you've called us to be, Lord. Let us be the Marys, not the Marthas, Lord. Let us be still and know that you are God, Father. Thank you and have a wonderful, blessed day, ladies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, ladies. Well, I'm just so thankful for you and I'll see you on the next podcast. God bless you guys, ladies. <laughs>